0: Is't this a lot of fun this morning? Brian and Kay have done a tremendous job in their team in organizing this list. I uh, really appreciate them, you guys. Please uh, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 21. Twenty-three years ago, you all, Cole Community Church, sent out Monica and me to work with the Muslims of Egypt. I remember the elders coming forward, as you often do, laying hands on us, and you sent us out in the name of the Lord. Uh, We left in 1983, and our plane arrived in 1984. Planes were a lot slower back then. (laughs) But seriously, I remember sitting at New Year's Eve in the departure gate at JFK, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is it. And we were scared to death. And I thought as they were about to call our, our flight, our boarding, I thought, you know, we might as well be getting on a ship to Mars. It's just so, you know, foreign. So we flew all night, long, arduous trip. Krista was with us, uh, two and a half years old. And we arrive, and then, you know, through taxis or whatever, we get up to our apartment with all of our mini suitcases, and we had these old heavy trunks and everything, and jet lag just hit us, you know, like a, a, you know, a big weight and as I looked around the apartment, it hit me that this is an incredibly noisy place. Uh, see, we were living on the eighth floor of an, apart- an apartment building of what is perhaps the noisiest boulevard on the continent of Africa, El Horea Street. And, um, you know, just very lots of traffic. And what do you think is the most important part of the car for Egyptian drivers? Any, any guesses? You got it. The horn. So Egyptian drivers kind of drive like this, you know. (laughs) And we had all these lanes just right in front of us, and even this truck stopped right in front of us, so they weren't just the nice, cute horns. They were the... Uh, In fact, one of our friends took a stopwatch, and they tried to time the maximum amount of time in between hearing a a horn hark on El Horea Street. And at 2.30 in the morning, they got up to 30 seconds. That was the front of our apartment. The back of our apartment, where our bedroom was, was the tram line. And every time a tram would go by, you would hear this sound. I don't know if the tracks were uneven or or what, but from 6 in the morning through the day all the way till 1 at night. And I really thought to myself, oh, Lord, I can't do this. This is our home. This is supposed to be, you know, a haven. Uh, somehow. And it's this, I was, just to be honest with you this morning, uh, I was in despair. And I thought, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, so I tried to think, okay, what are, what are my options? Well, I can't go back to Boise. We can't just throw in the towel and go back home because, you know, we had just finished preaching all these sermons, got to win the Muslim world for Jesus. Whatever the cost, whatever it takes, you know, we got to do that. And I thought, we can't live here. I looked out the window at the street below, Okay, I could jump. (laughs) That would solve a lot of things. But I mean, I was really thinking this way. It was really a point of, I I can't do this. Utter weakness. Utter despair. A few weeks go by, some friends of ours joined us. They were members of our team, Uh, John and Ruthie, good friends of ours. And they had a a son, uh, Jonathan, who was Krista's age, two and a half years old. And so they stayed in our apartment and. you know we were having a good time and and after a couple of days they said you know Dan, we need to go actually stay in a hotel room because we need to register our passports at, you know, it's the law there and you know we don't want to register in your address you know just for security let's not have you know the same address as we register so I thought great I know just the place I've been here a veteran you know I'm a veteran of Egypt been there two weeks I know just the hotel the San Marco so we went over to the San Marco hotel and we get there about six in the evening And uh, it was locked. And it was dark inside. And I thought, well, you know, I I don't know anything about the rest of the world outside of California and Idaho. Well, maybe in the Middle East, you know, hotels kind of lock up early. I'm really very, you know, you wouldn't believe how stupid I was. So we we knock on the door and this young Egyptian fellow comes out kind of in his pajamas. Again, it's 6, 7 in the evening. And um, John and I had studied a little bit of Arabic, just enough. We knew enough words to be dangerous and we kind of, you know, through hand motions and words, we said, we, we need a room. You know, can you, is there a room available tonight? And he sort of looked puzzled. He said, oh, well, you know, he waved us, you know, motioned us in. And sure enough, on the left, there was a bedroom. Thought, oh, great. Okay, there's a bed, nightstands, uh, dresser drawers. And then over on the right, there was another room, a little bit different style, bed, nightstand, dresser drawers. But I noticed there weren't any doors on these rooms. And so I kind of, you know, tried to communicate to the young fellow, you know, what about the doors? Uh, I, I think I even motioned, you know, Madame, she needs privacy, you know, dressing or whatever. And, and he, he just had this really, you know, confused look on his face. A- and then it hit me. The San Marco was not a hotel. The San Marco was a furniture store. <laughs> Believe me, John laughed so hard he was literally rolling on the ground in laughter. I've never felt so stupid in my in my life. Okay, the months go on, other team members <laughs> other team members come. We uh were crazy enough to have a team of fifteen people. I mean, just imagine that. And to be perfectly honest with you, relationships begin to deteriorate, which oftentimes happens. I now know, but with culture, stress and everything, relationships began to be tense. And there was a lot of unrest and and strife on the team. And about the six month mark, uh, several people were very upset at me as team leader. I'd made some decisions that weren't very popular. And they were saying I was kind of leading the team with a too heavy of a hand, which I think probably was correct, you know, in hindsight. And, you know, there was just, you know, sin and disunity and, and, you know, this wasn't funny at all. I, I remember just at some point, Literally in tears with Monica saying, Monica, I quit. I can't do this. Um, let somebody else lead the team. I was really very painful. We talked about maybe some people have to go home or something, or maybe we'll go home. Or, but, you know, by God's grace, we continued on. And God helped us sort through the relationships, and they got better and better and better. Praise, praise the Lord. But, you know, if you came this morning expecting to hear great stories of missionary exploits and courage and... Uh, incredible, you know, cross-cultural savvy and, you know, just going from strength to strength spiritually, consistency spiritually, uh, I'm very, very sorry to disappoint. But isn't God wonderful? You know, throughout the centuries, he has just used ordinary Christians, which is an oxymoron, I've heard, but just ordinary Christians like you and me who are weak, oftentimes even frail, who are flawed and inconsistent and sinful, sinners and we have trouble getting along with our brothers and sisters oftentimes uh, isn't he good to do that he's done that and he's changed the world uh, using such imperfect vessels as ourselves well revelation 21 we're have, we're given a picture here of the end of human history the beginning of the new age to come this chapters 21 and 22 of revelation the final two chapters of the bible they answer the question for us in a lot of ways what will heaven be like That's kind of an interesting question, don't you think? What will heaven be like? And let's begin reading Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, And just let that last phrase sink in. The old order of things has passed away. We're approaching a time in which that's going to be true. The old order will have passed away. Whatever you came in this morning to this meeting with that maybe is burdening you, that maybe is causing you pain, that maybe is keeping you up at night with anxiety, or maybe even making you wonder, is life worth living? Those things are going to be done away with. Not long from now, soon, they're going to be gone. And John gives us a picture here by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the New Jerusalem, kind of a a metaphor. And uh, what is the New Jerusalem? Is it a city? Is it a building? Well, actually, he tells us in verses 9 and 10, we won't read that, but basically he equates the New Jerusalem with the Bride of Christ. Who's the Bride of Christ? That's us i really believe the new jerusalem is a, a clear metaphor for all the redeemed people of god throughout the centuries now with god in the new age so he gives us three pictures very, very very briefly of what heaven is going to be like first of all in verse three he says we are going to be with god not with god you know through prayer but we're actually going to be with god God it is going to reverse the fall. Remember, Adam sinned. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and they were separated from God. And, and whereas previously they had walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day, now Adam and Eve hid. And perhaps the saddest four words in all of Scripture, God cries out, Adam, where are you? And throughout the centuries, God has been saying plaintively, Adam, where are you? And that we know that distance between us and God. And even as Christians, you know, it's not... We don't experience God like it was meant to be. You know, we pray. We don't see God. Even when we sense His presence, it's only sometimes we're trapped in this kind of five senses and and three dimensions. But John says there's coming a time when we will see Him as He is. And so that's the first powerful part of what heaven is going to be like. Secondly, verse 4... I believe life in the new age, whatever it is, is going to be incredibly wonderful. Incredibly wonderful. It says in verse 4, there's not going to be any more death, any more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. John here is taking a verse from Isaiah 25. I mean, this isn't just poetry, but this is really a promise. It really is going to be like this. You know, there's been millennia since then of pain and, and grief and suffering due to man's sin and rebellion, the fall the curse and all that is now over. No more guilt. No more, no more shame. No more depression. No more fear. No more anxiety. No more selfishness or man's treatment of other of their people. Poverty. Think of poverty around the world. It's gone. It's over. No more disease. You know, I so, I know some friends who I have some friends who have multiple sclerosis and the the tragedy in their families. That's all that kind of thing is gone. No more lying. No more killing. Imagine instead, if a world, planet Earth, if Adam and Eve and no man had ever fallen into sin, have you ever thought about that? What would what would Earth have been like if if we collectively as the human race had never fallen into rebellion and sin? Um, We would have continued with a perfect relationship with God, perfect relationships with each other, always happy, always at peace, uh, always having relationships that just blossom into great sources of joy and satisfaction, even you know, romantic relationships, sustained passion, fidelity, full pleasures, beauty, fun, adventure, health, living conditions that we can't even imagine if we hadn't fallen into sin. The point is, whatever heaven is going to be like, I am convinced it will be at least as good as earth had we not fallen into sin. Which would have been paradise, heaven on earth. Um, you know, I love the picture that Dallas Willard gives in *Divine Conspiracy*. Maybe some of you have read that book, but he basically lays out the picture of that. For centuries after the return of Christ, the whole universe is going to be our playground. And he talks about centuries of unlimited space travel and exploration and development and, you know, adventure that would make anything that Star Trek serves up dull. Uh, so life, whatever it is, it's going to be incredible. But thirdly, and most powerfully perhaps, all the nations, the redeemed, are going to be together. Let's jump ahead and read from verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth, Will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Incredible, the nations, the glory and honor of the, of the nations, same word as Gentiles. Not a negative word about about the nations and gentiles, but a very positive promise about what God is going to do with the nations now. And other passages in Scripture explain that not just some of the nations, but there is going to be a solid representation of the harvest of the gospel from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We've heard that phrase many times before already. And throughout Scripture, there is this incredibly mysterious link between the harvest of the nations and the return of Christ. And we see it all here, and it's a great mystery. But as verse 23 makes clear, this is all about Jesus. This is all about the Lamb. This is all about God's Messiah. This is about Jesus. Um, a friend of mine told me a story recently that he was in Denver and he was invited to share at a little get. Well, I guess it was a debate of sorts, and there were two Muslim imams, two Jewish rabbis, a Catholic priest, and Carl. Sounds like the setup for a joke, doesn't it? I mean, you know, they were all in a boat. No. Um, but they were basically asked to give the different representative points from their religion. So uh, after it was all said and done, one of the imams comes up to Carl and says, Carl, that was really unfair because we kept talking about and defending our religions. You just kept talking about Jesus. <laughs> and, of course, if you knew Carl, that big smile on his face. Um, but, you know, like Carl told me, the first question that came up is, how does your religion get you into heaven? And so, you know, one by one, they all explain this. And they come to Carl, and he says, It doesn't. Christianity doesn't get us into heaven. Only Jesus does. And so it just went like this the whole night. So, Carl, you had an unfair advantage. You just talked about Jesus. And that's what it's all about. You know, this picture of Revelation 21, Revelation 22 is not the culmination in the victory of Christianity over all the other world's religions. Please, put that out of your head. It's the culmination of the exaltation of Jesus. Because he's the Savior, indeed, of all peoples. Verse 26, incredible truth. The glory and the honor of all the nations needs to be brought into the new Jerusalem, into the new age. Praise the Lord. Because of the faithfulness of Claude and Barbara, Levitt, and the people with them out in the field, the glory and the honor of the YY Indians will be there. The glory and the honor, the distinctive beauty, the, the unique beauty and ways that reflect the glory of God that are unique to the trio Indians will be brought into the new Jerusalem. And not just because of Claude and Barbara, but because of many, many of you as cinders of Cole Community Church behind them in that ministry. You know, I think of you know, years where I've seen many of you part of the translation team, Judy Johnstone helping with galleys of translation books and things and others people praying for them, people writing those checks, you know, giving faithfully month after month, giving unto the Lord, they will be in the New Jerusalem. There will be many Arab Arabs from Jordan, even many from Muslim background because of Tom and Melissa and Abdullah and Amel, and the many of you who are part of their ministries. There will be a very good representation from the Sanyo Indians from Papua New Guinea because of Ron and Sandy Lewis and their ministry. And so many of you with them partnering with them from the home frontier here as senders so is that it is, is the work done well sadly no there's so many other people groups who still need to be brought into the kingdom of God where the harvest the work of the gospel has not yet made a dent you know if the new Jerusalem doesn't have a good representation from the Minangkabau of Indonesia or the Aceh of Sumatra it's going to be a really impoverished place what about the Sunni and the Shiites of Iraq that we hear about so much there's not much of the gospel going on yet, too much, that, at least that I've heard about. And, and we could go on and talk about Omanis or uh, the Sindhi of Pakistan and on and on and on. The New Jerusalem needs to include all the different peoples. Well, this moves us. This moves me. This kind of stuff is exciting. It, it just, I just get so, Lord, I've got to be a part of that. And, and I believe it's the same for you. It, doesn't it, it move all of us? There's many of us around the room today who are goers, We've been, you know, we've gone There's others here who are thinking about becoming goers And I believe there's others of you who don't even know it yet But you're going to be goers <laughs> just warning you, you know um, You should have known better before coming to a missions conference But, you know, the Lord's going to move you out But then there's many, many others Perhaps the majority who are going to continue to work Or begin to work as active senders I so love the prayer of John Piper. He prayed this. He said, I pray that God will use this message to awaken in many of you an irresistible desire to take the gospel of Christ to some unreached people group. But he says also, and I also pray that in the rest of you it will awaken an irresistible desire to be utterly committed senders for those who go. All of us, I believe Jesus calls to be goers or senders, regardless of our vocation or other ministries that you all may be involved with with the church, active senders. If anyone is thinking, well, I would be happy to pray that way, to ask the Lord if he wants to send me. Um, you know, Lord, we pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into the harvest field. We pray that way, but Lord, you want to send me? But maybe you're thinking, but I'm not strong enough or maybe you're thinking I'm not even strong enough to be you know, crucially involved as a sender please uh, don't think that way remember those stories at the beginning of my talk a few minutes ago you don't have to be clever you don't have to be strong um, after we left Egypt actually we were expelled from Egypt uh, we won't talk about that now we spent a year here in, in Boise uh, before going back to the Middle East and uh in a, you know, one particular time, Monica was having some stress. She was kind of depressed that after just having given birth to our son, Stephen, uh, she wasn't able to fit into her old clothes. She told me I could say that. Um, so she was real down and not sure, oh, I don't know if I really want to go back to the Middle East and, you know, struggling with that. And, and one particular morning, we had uh, a discussion. Okay, it was a fight, all right? Uh, LAUGHTER And so she goes out to Fred Meyer for some retail therapy. (laughs) And, you know, she's, you know, over there at Glenwood and Chinden and Fred Meyer with a cart, you know, going through the aisle and, you know, think, woe is me and something. And she hears this voice from behind her saying, Monica, Monica, is that you? And she turns around and there's this Iranian Muslim gal who... Before we had gone to Egypt, Monica had given a New Testament to. Uh, we were involved in international student work there at BSU with the Raybergs and, uh, and others. and Monica had befriended this gal a little bit and given her the New Testament. And Basically, said, see you later, and we went off to Egypt. So this young lady, Ashraf, said, Monica, I've been looking for you for two years. Where have you been? <laughs> well, I've been out of town. Um, but she said, you know, I took that New Testament. It was in Farsi. Uh, And I read it, and I read it, and this is the truth. This is the truth. Jesus is my Savior. And I gave my life, you know, Ashraf is sharing, I gave my life to Jesus. I I gave it to my husband. He's now a believer, and other family members have come into the faith against an Iranian Muslim family. Isn't that incredible, the the way the Lord gives those kind of gifts? Well, what did Monica do? Was it something, you know, hugely difficult? No, she just gave her the Bible. I don't think any of us could do. Well, just to close, as it says, soon the old order of things will have passed away. The song we're going to sing in a minute says, I cannot tell how the Lord is going to finish up the harvest or something like that. I mean, I, and I don't know, I don't know either how it's all going to come together. But I know it will. It is going to happen. And I don't want... To not be a part of it. Does that make sense? I don't want to not be a part. And I believe you do too. You want to be involved. We want to, let's all have a part in fulfilling Revelation twenty-one twenty-six to Christ's glory. Um, let me just close by saying I'm proud, in a Christian sense, uh, of being a worker sent out from Cole Community Church. God bless you all so much.